It's the Auburn Observer Podcast, the uh, weekend question mark edition. We're doing it a little later this week. Appreciate everybody's patience as Painter and I were both on the road. It's Justin Ferguson back here in Auburn, Alabama. Painter Sharpless checking back in from uh, his homestead in parts unknown. How are we doing, Painter? Hello, hello. So, a lot going on this week. Uh, Auburn basketball uh, coming off that loss to Vanderbilt, which we will talk about, uh, and also look ahead to the Ole Miss game on Wednesday night. And just kind of we'll talk about where Auburn basketball stands as they head into the final two weeks of the regular season because not a terrible spot to be in, but still work left to be done for the Tigers. Also, uh, we are less than a week away by the time you're hearing this. We are less than a week away from the start of spring practices. And so uh, if you're kind of new to this podcast or um, you may have not may not remember, because I think we've done it a few times, but I don't know if we've done it every year. Uh, Painter and I uh, in the second half of this podcast are going to do our annual spring breakout draft, which basically means we're going to go back and forth and pick and talk about some players we think uh, could be the talk of spring practices. Uh, And uh, we will uh, we will find out and just do that as a way to kind of run down what we're looking for and what we want to hear and see from spring ball when it opens up, uh, a, you know, a week from Monday. Um, so it's, it's coming up here pretty quick. We already are less than a week. Appreciate everybody listening. Uh, all you can always help out the show by, uh, giving us, uh, five stars on, uh, Apple podcasts or Spotify. You can also uh, leave us a written review, which helps us a ton. And, uh, you know, that will, that would really, really, um, you know, it gets more people's eyeballs on the show, which gets more people on the on the newsletter, and uh, it it helps us out a ton. So, AuburnObserver.com if you want all the newsletters and all the podcast. Uh, we appreciate all of you uh, for tuning in. All right, let's get to it. Auburn basketball coming off a loss to Vanderbilt over the weekend, last second loss. Um, once again, Auburn has an opportunity to come up. With a close win down the stretch, and this game had some similarities to the Texas A&M loss, um, especially in terms of the free throw count. But also, it's another thing where you know I know this was a game for Auburn where they didn't necessarily light it up on offense. Um, you know, unless your name was Janai Broom or Jalen Williams. However, I have to kind of point out again, we've talked about this painter the. The in-game problems for Auburn, to me, seem to stem more on the defensive side than the offensive side because, and not, and not to say that the off, there isn't an offensive, there haven't been offensive issues. My thing, though, is is that this Auburn basketball team, I mean, we are we're 27 games into the season. We kind of know what they are on offense. I think the bigger drop-off happens on the defensive side because this is a defense, you know, top 15 in the country, top five. Uh, and, and effective field goal percentage, they they really good, do good in a lot of metrics. However, getting stops down the stretch, a problem against A&M, a problem against Alabama, now a problem against Vanderbilt uh, in a last-second situation where uh, Katie Johnson hits this wild three to tie the game up, and Auburn just needs to get a stop to go into um, overtime, and they're unable to do it, and uh, you know they, they get the bucket. Uh, Vanderbilt gets the bucket, and they come out with a win. We, we've just seen this a few times here this season, late in games. It's just when you need a stop, when you need to – and stop doesn't necessarily mean get a steal, get a block or something like that. 
you know, sometimes it's not even as, as easy as, you know, make sure they don't have a shot. It's like preventing free throw trips has been a big thing for this team as well. And so that's the thing with Auburn. It's like we've heard Bruce Pearl say it all the time. Defense and rebounding wins championships in this league. They travel like that's that's what you need to do in March specifically. Um, and that's the thing I think that's let this team down the most. I think they've been able to overcome their offensive um, inefficiencies, some of their offensive limitations this year. It's just the defense down the stretch of games is the thing that I think like a is the bigger problem right now for Auburn, but B is also probably the more fixable one because we have seen times this season that that has been able to win them games, even more so than just saying, well, we just need the offense to kind of just get going. Yeah, how many times have you said, you know, three-fourths of the way into the year or whatever it is, halfway into the year, you you are who you are. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. that they won't have some nights where offensively they put it together. And then in those games – uh, Missouri, to some extent, being one of them, you, you look at the team and go, oh, okay, that, that's a team that most teams in the tournament would not want to match up against. However, uh, we know that you're just not going to get that version of Auburn on a reliable basis. It's been very the in-game possession for Auburn. There's been a lot of talk about what happened, what all went down. And, and I think, you know, it's, it's several parts. You know, Bruce Pearl uh, deciding to play Dylan Carwell over Janai Broom in that situation was one that took a lot of people by surprise. Uh, you know, and and I asked Bruce after the game in Nashville, okay, was this something to do with the fact that Janai Broom had had four fouls? He said, no, we were switching everything. We felt like Dylan was a better option there. That was the that was the call they made. That was the decision they made. Somebody did point out to me on Twitter, and it's one of the few people I think I saw that had like, uh, okay, I kind of see where they're coming from uh, stance here. Broom had had like three fouls in the last like four minutes before that. And so maybe it wasn't necessarily a case of, oh, he has four fouls, but it's like, oh, no, he's really struggling not to, you know, foul in this spot. Instead, you know, Auburn doesn't, you know, they have, they, they aren't able to slow down the, the ball handler enough. Uh, Zepp Jasper gets whacked with a screen. Uh, Jalen Williams um, probably doesn't do quite as much on the switch to try to slow him down. Carwell's contested the rim, you know, not as effective enough to get the stop, but it's kind of the spirit of the thing down the stretch um, because, you know, we talked about this with the Tennessee game. Everybody's going to want to look at the last play because it's the last play and everybody, you know, that's where it gets the most attention. But even like Wendell Green Jr. not getting that foul call down the stretch, you also can look at other times where things didn't go your way or it came up short you gotta that you gotta be able to point out um pearl said after the game to win in the end you have to get stops and you have to get to the foul line we never got even into the bonus in the second half you win by getting stops and getting to the free throw line final three minutes of the game Vanderbilt was six of six from the line and then hits the game winning shot um Auburn only goes to the line once. They split the free throws, and free throw shooting in general in this game wasn't great, but you come to an end of a game where Vanderbilt shoots 27 free throws and Auburn shoots 10. Liam Robbins shot 20 himself. He shot twice as many free throws in this game as Auburn did. Again, big picture-wise, you're looking at Auburn moving forward. It was this perfect storm of factors that were working against him. Liam Robbins is now the number one player in the country at drawing fouls per 40 minutes. He's just It's what he does. Auburn fouls a lot as well. That was a really big factor in this game. 
But I think it was the fact that it was so lopsided. And, and again, you can chalk it up to questionable officiating. You can chalk it up to strategy on both ends of the floor. But this is another game where you look at it and say, well, Auburn was running their offense and getting a lot of success through Janai Broom and Jalen Williams. They were getting to the basket and they were getting contact, but Auburn wasn't going to the to the free throw line nearly as much as the other team. And that's a problem, I think, that falls on the offense, it falls on the defense especially, and it falls on the officiating as well. It's another game where, like, if the foul shots were fairly even, maybe you think that this is a closer game. But as Jalen Williams said recently, it's like you you gotta you can't look for him at this point. Um, but again, the stat that is really really mind boggling this year, and it's four four losses by five points or fewer this season, and I and I should say the last four uh, by five points or less. Auburn has shot forty nine fewer free throws than its opponents, and so in those games, you you get half of those back you may turn all of them into win, even if you don't hit all of them. This does feel like one, and I know this is annoying, where I can play both sides pretty easily. Auburn fans, I think, do have some legitimate gripes about the way a couple of games now have gone. It does seem to be a bit of a trend. However, I will say the way Auburn plays its defense, I think, you know, we... There, there is an element of uh, Legion of Boom, you know, in in the way Auburn plays with its physicality, and so I, I don't think sometimes it's a conspiracy. I, I don't that that Auburn winds up sending the other f- team to the free throw line more often. I think the problem though is is they're not getting to the free throw line nearly as much. It's a big gap for a team that plays through the inside that drives a lot like that. That's where I think games get frustrated. Like when you watch Auburn play defense, you consider and say, "Yeah, I can see how that team commits a lot of fouls." Just the way they play, the way they play defense, and then especially in a game like this where you have a, a player like Robbins who is so uniquely talented at drawing fouls. I mean, he's the best foul magnet in college basketball this season. He was top five heading into that game. Now he's number one. This thing for for Auburn is like. You've got to be able to find ways to get stops without fouling. And down the stretch of the game, they had foul calls. Not all of them are legitimate. I mean, you had that one that it was like, was that a was it a shot clock violation or a foul? And it ended up becoming a foul anyway. That's what they that's what they called it. That one's a tough play, and it, and it could have changed the game because again, Auburn has a chance to get a stop there and maybe add, add on. Um. But yeah, it's just a it's a frustrating spot to be in because if you're Auburn, you look down the stretch of the season, you're going to play some teams that are going to want to get to the free throw line a good bit. Um, not as much Ole Miss on Saturday, uh, but Kentucky's got decent numbers in that in that regard. Alabama's really talented at doing that, uh, and Tennessee's Tennessee's also been able to win some games at the line this year as well. So. It's it's can you get stops down the stretch? And that's the thing with this team is that, like, they're not bad, and they've lost six out of their last eight, and this should be, you know, four-alarm fire, everything's going terrible right now. But when you lose by two and then by eight to the best team in the country and then five on the road and then three on the road to a team that's just, you know, a top five, top ten caliber, and then three again to a team that keeps winning in West Virginia – and you lost by three earlier this season without your point guard uh, at USC. Like, 
the numbers still work in their favor. They just, I mean, they're just like a little bit away from flipping the script. And to me, it's just be, can you play that defense that you're known for all 40 minutes, right? Offensively, you know, it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be efficient. It's going to be messy at times. But again, in this game, you can talk about the offensive problems that Auburn has. Wendell Green Jr., in one of his worst offensive games of the season, hits a late bucket that you needed. Alan Flanagan gets a late bucket that you needed. Katie Johnson hits a miracle three. Down. Like Defense was the one where you look at it and say, okay, that's, to me, the one that that's, that's got to be the, the, the bigger culprit because this is going to be the way that this team wins games. Sure, like you said earlier, Panther, like you may have a game like Missouri where you get a defensive matchup that you love and you just tear someone apart with it. Or you may get, you know, abnormally for this team, hot from three-point range and be able to win that way. Defensively is going to be what defines this team. stretch. If they have a chance to win at Kentucky on Saturday, it's going to be can they play really good defense? Can they hold down an offense that when they're clicking, they're really, really good? and get out of there with a win, it's can they continue to give Tennessee trouble at home with their defense? Can they play somehow as good a defense they played against Alabama for you know 35 minutes of that game in Neville? Can they do that in Tuscaloosa? That, to me, is kind of more of the picture than, oh, can Auburn play like they did against Missouri more often? Or can they play like they did against Georgia uh, yeah, at home more often? That's just harder to kind of – rely on it because it's not the makeup of this team and like i've said like you are 20 something games into the season at this point and in my convenient revisiting of the missouri game as you just alluded to a moment ago you auburn matches up extremely well against that team very well so they don't match up super well against kentucky yeah you just can't count on that matchup too many more times this year no you can't so again like you said this team is lost uh, they've lost six out of their last eight i mean they were six and one at one point in sec play now they're eight and six. It's 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 trending downward, and yet and yet we're in a situation as I wrote about on Monday at the Observer. Um, for those of you who checked that out, they're still firmly in, in NCAA tournament projections. Uh, pretty much every every projection you find that's reputable has Auburn in it, and the majority of them have them is like an eight or a nine seed. Some have them as a seven, some have them as a ten, but mostly you're getting them in eight and nine range. And a lot of people are like, okay, why, well, why is that? You can read a lot of this at The Observer if you're a subscriber. If you're not a subscriber, be a good time to check it out because I went pretty deep into the weeds with, um, with the bracketology here. But basically, Auburn has lost a lot of games close, which helps their, their net ranking. And also, a lot of credit needs to be given to Mike Burgermaster, you know, Bruce Pearl as well, for building this schedule that didn't overload Auburn, but it also really hits all the buttons that like Nets looking for. Here's here's the thing: Auburn has played in four quad four games this season. One of those was against South Carolina. All right, so three non conference games they played were quad four territory. Those were, and if you in case you know it, real quick, every game is matched into quad one, two, three, or four. The value is one's the most important, then two, then three, then four. Um, Winthrop, Georgia State, and Texas Southern are the only three quad four games Auburn has played this year. You look at where we talked about where they went, you know, oh man, you know, that Mexico trip does not look really good. You know, that's not a, that's not a really tough, um, it's not really a a tough environment or it's not a tough field. 
Northwestern is one of their biggest wins of the year, and Bradley's a quad two win, right? So, like, it's a lot of those. It's beating St. Louis and Colgate and George Mason and South Florida, teams that aren't awesome, but they're not super blowout territory kind of teams. That's the big thing for this Auburn team. Um, They only played four. Meanwhile, if you look at some of the other teams on the bubble, Pitt and NC State have played 10 this season. Uh, A&M's played 10, and A&M's really, really good. Mississippi State's played nine. Kentucky's played seven, and they lost one. Pitt also lost one as well. That South Carolina loss for Kentucky's holding them up. And so the metrics really like Auburn because you may look at their schedule and say, eh, that's not a whole uh, not a whole lot to like about them. They're top 20 in pretty much every predictive metric you can find. Ken Palm, SAG, BPI, stuff like that. Because efficiency-wise, they're playing really well. They're just losing close games. And somebody pointed it out in the mailbag. Uh, I wanted to make sure I get the name right because it's a really good question. Uh, this was from Nathan uh, in the mailbag on Friday. Pointing out that, hey, this team has better metrics than the team that got their season canceled due to COVID was. But the difference with that team was they played lesser quality competition. The SEC was not as good as they are this year. Um, and even then, the SEC is not sparkling awesome, um, you know, this season. But that team won close games. A lot of them won overtime games on that. This team has been able to flip it completely where the close game luck or the concept of luck which means here's how you play and here's what the results look like and how much of a difference is there. A, a lucky team outplays how you know their record looks better than how they've actually played. And uh, an, uh, an unlucky team like Auburn is, you've got really good metrics, you're just losing a bunch of close games to these teams. It's completely flipped this year on them. And so it's like you can see, hey, if Auburn plays like they did for 30, 35 minutes against Alabama – or if they play defense like they did against Tennessee, or if they fight the way they did on offense against Texas A&M or West Virginia. Like, you can see all that, and those are all losses for Auburn. But you can see, hey, most of the time that's good enough to win you basketball games. It just hasn't been to that this point this year. And so, as we stand right now, Auburn is – set to make the NCAA tournament. Because when you look at other teams on the bubble, the teams that are projected, and by the way, just to, for everyone to know, Auburn's a projected 8-seed or 9-seed, depending on where you look at. The last teams that make the tournament are all 11-seeds. There was somebody who asked me, he's like, this team's probably going to be a 12-seed. No, it's impossible. 12-seeds um, are twelve seeds are the, the, the conference champions from the smaller leagues, and that's how it starts there. So it's 11 is where the end comes in, right? And Auburn could get into that territory, obviously. But you look at those teams in the 11s, and you're seeing a lot of teams with flaws on their resume. Either their conference schedule, non-conference schedule wasn't nearly as good as Auburn's, or they have some really bad losses on their resume. You know, it's the metrics don't like them as much. Their efficiency is not as good as Auburn is. I mean, because remember, Auburn is a top 20 team. Auburn is a top 20 team in how they've played the game this year. They're not a top 20 team on how the record is this year. And in a system like the NCAA tournament where you get 68 teams in, record is important. That's what it, you know, that's what hangs banners and that's what that's what people remember you for. It goes down the record book. But the metrics help you figure out, okay, who deserves to be in this in, in, in this tournament. Um, so with two weeks left in the season, 
Auburn has got a spot where they're 18 and 9, which is not a terrible record, but eight, but six out of their last eight being losses is definitely not where you want to be. Here's where they stand. Ole Miss, got to have it. Quad three game, got to have it. Don't screw up there. If you lose to Ole Miss on Saturday uh, on Wednesday night, not, say, not saying it's completely impossible for them to get in, but it gets really, really tough because that's the face plant that you've avoided. You look better than the Kentuckys and the Pitts and the Texas A&Ms and the others of the world in a comparative sense. And I guess with A&M, you have lost to them twice, so that, that should give them a lot, of, a lot of love. But a lot of the bubble teams, you don't have that, oh, my God, what were you doing there loss. Ole Miss at home would be, would be like that. The last time we checked in, Auburn played Ole Miss early in SEC play. The one by nine in um, Oxford. Since we've last seen the since we last seen the Rebels, they have won two out of their next ten games. They beat South Carolina on the road and they beat Georgia on the road. Um, they did lose to Mississippi State in overtime the other day. They've had some competitive games, but they haven't been able to get over the hump. They're two and twelve in SEC play, ten and seventeen overall. This looks like it might be it for Kermit. Um, and, yeah, I mean, Auburn's projected to win by 13 on Kempom. Here's a funny stat. Remember how, Peter, remember how Auburn, well, not remember. You know how Auburn has had a really bad time this year shooting threes? What if I told you that Auburn is not the worst team at shooting threes in the SEC? And what if I told you they're not even the second worst team in the SEC at shooting threes this year? Both the Mississippi schools are worse than Auburn is at shooting threes this year. Uh, and so Ole Miss is bringing that into uh, the arena on Wednesday night. It's a re- it's an offense that has struggled to score this year. Uh, 61, 64, 61. They did score 78 against Georgia. But a lot of, a lot of 50s and 60s on their line this year matches up pretty well with Auburn's defense. Remember in that game when Auburn beat them in um, in Oxford, Auburn's offense played one of their better games of the season. They turned the ball over a lot. It's just not a really good matchup. Anything can happen, obviously. Um, there have been some comp- – like uh, you go back to early in the year when they really hung with Tennessee for a while. Uh, they've got some close, win- some close losses on the road. But this is don't face plant territory if you're Auburn. And for Auburn, it's get back right. You're back at home. Get a win – um, win it however you can get it. Maybe help you out your symmetrics. Like if Auburn could unleash a unleash a oh we beat them by twenty plus that could help them a lot. But again, it, this this game it's not going to be it's not going to change their pr- trajectory a bunch if they just go and clobber a team that's been getting clobbered this year. Then it comes into at Kentucky at Alabama home against Tennessee. I'm not saying you don't get in if you don't win any of them, but then I think you go into the SEC tournament saying you need one, maybe two. Um, because you got to get to 20-plus wins, I think. Oklahoma State's the only team in that bubble territory that's not projected to be around that range. If you look at T-Rank, as I wrote about it the other day, T-Rank has Auburn having a 95.6% chance of making the NCAA tournament and an 89.9% chance of receiving an at-large bid. Um that's based on what they do the rest of the season, their full season outlook. That has Auburn winning one of the games against either Kentucky or Tennessee, where they are currently projected to be less than a point underdogs. Um, be as close to pick as you can, at least from a statistical standpoint, analytically. I wouldn't be surprised, obviously, if 
on Saturday, we're talking about Kentucky's like a three or four point favorite. That's just kind of how betting works. Um, I think like a so lot Auburn's, of people, if you look at the remaining games, you you tend to expect Auburn to take care of business against a bad Ole Miss team, uh, right. or at least underwhelming. And then I imagine if you polled the fan base, most people would say the Tennessee game seems to be where you might have the most success getting a nice win. Because I just don't think you can really count on going into Rupp. Not to say it can't happen. It very well might. This uh, might be the year to do it if you do it. Absolutely. You've Alabama, only won there twice, ever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, Al- yeah. Alabama on their – again, I wouldn't be surprised if Auburn goes into Alabama and plays a really good competitive game with them. Um, just rivalry, amped up kind of thing. But, you know, obviously you would expect Alabama to be better in Coleman than they were on the road. And then, you know – you have things like Brandon Miller not hitting a three-pointer. I don't foresee that happening very very much again this year. Um, but, yeah, can you get one of those two? If you do, I think you're pretty strong. You just don't need to look really bad in in Nashville. And then, again, like in the, the tournaments usually don't affect your seating as much, right? They don't put an extra emphasis on what you do in the, in the tournament compared to uh, – it's one thing about net. The NCAA says it. What you do in game one and what you do in game 30, I mean, that's that's equal weight. Obviously, it's equal to, you know, strength of schedule and, like, strength of opponent varies, but, like, you know, this is the Northwestern win, just because it happened in November doesn't mean it's not important to Auburn's resume right now. We saw that last year with not a whole lot of movement happening in the, the, the tournament bracket based on what happened in Tampa. Obviously, Texas A&M getting jobbed out of a spot in the field was something that's a lot of people are going to, are going to point back to. So it's like, can you take care of business over these next two weeks? And then going to Nashville, you know, not playing with house money. You obviously want to improve your, your stock as much as possible, but you want to be comfortable heading in there and not quite as nerve wracking. And it's just, it's going to come down to, can you win a close game? Can you pull it out down the stretch? And again, I will keep and continue to point to the fact that the defense is the thing that I think is going to be the, the real question mark for Auburn, not as you know, those of you who have had questions and, and legit concerns and point and point out things with the late game offense. I hear you. I understand you. It is definitely possible. I'm just thinking at this point, what is more fixable and what is more like, okay, we know they can play better on a more consistent basis in this. You go back to some of the good wins Auburn's had this season, Mississippi state, uh, Florida. Um, let's see, uh, St. Louis, uh, Northwestern's a great example of this as well. These close wins where they won by just grinding out on defense and rebounding in the end of games. They have not had that as much against some better teams down the stretch of the year. Obviously, Vanderbilt not as good as a A&M or a West Virginia or an Arkansas, I mean, or a Tennessee or an Alabama right now, but we'll point out the fact that uh, that's now five straight for, for Vanderbilt. It's not like you were playing a team that is struggling by any means. Um, so it's just can they turn around? You hope, if you're Auburn, you don't get into a tough late-game situation against Ole Miss on Wednesday. You know that you probably, to have a chance to win any of the last three, you're probably going to be in that spot again. So how much have you learned? How much have you grown and improved from that is going to be the question. Uh, before we switch over to football, want to uh, let everybody know uh, about our friends at homefieldapparel.com. Homefield Apparel is the number one place to buy colli- vintage collegiate apparel, the most comfortable T-shirts, hoodies, um, sweatshirts, joggers, I mean, you name it, that you can find anywhere. You can find at homefieldapparel.com. They're going through a bunch of refreshes right now. So there's some schools that you like and you and you love uh, that you may 
want to check out some of the new stuff that they've got going on. I think this week is Missouri and Kansas and Colorado. Old Big 8 love there. Um, but for Auburn, a lot of really cool Auburn stuff on the site. Uh, it's baseball season already. They've got a couple of baseball shirts that you might want to check out uh, as well. Uh, as well as a bunch of hoodies and T-shirts that work for basketball season, football season, what have you. You can also buy the official Auburn Observer T-shirt from homefieldapparel.com. Just type in Auburn Observer in the little search bar, and you can get right to it. Um, They're super comfortable, and uh, I'm very vain, so I wear it all the time. Homefieldapparel.com, 15% off your first order if you type in the promo code OBSERVER when checking out. Thanks to Connor and Whitney and the whole gang up in Indy uh, for continuing to support us and being our partner since pretty much day one here at the Observer. All right, Painter, we're less than a week away from football, which is really weird to talk about. Um, not not the fact that you know there's always it's always this this time of year where it gets super busy, where it's the end of basketball season and the start of spring football, and it overlaps, and you know. You just kind of have to kind of roll with it, and it's and it's fun for the fans, and you know it's it's very busy for us, but it's one of the better times of year because you get a lot going on. There's probably a lot of interest in preseason football, postseason basketball is where people really really get amped up. Um, but they're they're less than a week away. It starts it starts on Monday, um, the the uh, spring spring practices, and. It's the first time I I can remember them starting in February. Um, There's obviously a uh, spring break factored into that. And then, don't worry, everyone, uh, Master Saturday is still A-Day. It's always going to happen that way. Um, So, that part will still be normal, but I think just with the way spring break fell and some of the calendar fell this year, um, you're getting to a point where we're about to be talking about spring football. Um, We've had stuff at the observer over the last few weeks uh from the coaches from the assistant coaches in particular um about just a number of areas like i'm, I'm looking at looking at it right now we've done stories on uh the linebackers and marcus davis and uh some stuff about the offensive uh philosophy some recruiting pass rush a lot of stuff um I'm, i've been very pleased and and you know to get selfish here for a quick moment been very pleased with the amount of access and the amount of opportunities we've gotten to talk to coaches uh, and, and learn a lot of stuff here. I hope that continues into the actual practices. We'll see, but I, I feel pretty good about it. And then, and then on uh, Tuesday, by the time you're listening to this, there is a story up where I did one big question for each of the position groups for Auburn heading into spring ball. It's a good overview of just kind of where things stand and what we're going to be looking at the closest in spring practices. You can check that out, but for this edition of the podcast, we're going to do something we've done at least a few times because uh, it's kind of hard to believe that this is going to be our third spring practice that we've done, and we're heading into our fourth season of doing this at the Observer, which is crazy to think about. Peter, we were talking about this last night before while we were planning the planning the episode out. Um, it's crazy to think we're already at this point because you know it, it kind of feels like it kind of feels like just yesterday we were saying like all right maybe this will work or just yesterday we we're talking about like I don't know the 
the team that won the SEC tar- the, the, the SEC uh, championship in basketball or maybe the COVID year or something like that. It's it's crazy how much time has kind of flown doing this. A day seems to move slowly sometimes, but then you look up and you've uh, you found yourself looking at fall camp or spring camp again. So what we do here is this is our spring breakout draft, and what we what we've done is we're going to pick. Painter and I are going to go back and forth, and we are going to pick players that we think are going to be, you know, breakout players of spring practices, guys that are going to be talked about a good bit. We'll try to do a better job this year of actually going back and revisiting this. I'm going to put that mental note in my head and see if it still stays there by the end of by the end of uh, spring ball. We'll see. Uh, but basically, we're going to take the guys that were starters or key players from last season. They're off the board. Let's find either the newcomers or some of the guys that were further down the depth chart that we are high on, or at least say, hey, it would make a lot of sense if this guy is somebody we're talking about this, uh, you know, by the end of spring practices. Who are going to be the ones that capture everybody's hearts and minds and attentions um, here down the stretch? And we've both had some good track records with this, and we've both had some bad track records with this. But we're going to try to keep up and and and, and uh, you know see what we've got. All right. So the only rule, like we said, is don't pick a player that was a starter last year or a key player. I only came up with, I believe, 11 of these guys um, that I would kind of consider as, like, returning starters or key players that we're not going to pick. And those players are in positional order, for better or worse. Robbie Ashford, Jarquez Hunter, Javarius Johnson, Coy Moore, Marcus Harris, Cam Riley, Keontae Scott, Nehemiah Pritchett, Donovan Kaufman, Zion Puckett, and Jalen Simpson. You could put Wesley Steiner in there as well. I think that was the other one I thought I considered off the top of my head, but he did not play a ton towards the end of the season, so um, we can, you know, you can quarrel with that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is kind of wide open. Like they're <laughs> just looking at it qu- quickly. Not an edge rusher, no offensive lineman on this list, uh, and then of course, like if you want, you know, to pick a newcomer, uh, whether it's a transfer or a true a freshman who is incoming. Um, you can do that. Uh, I want to say here real quick because people always have these questions when it comes to spring ball. Uh, there are not everybody who signed with Auburn in the 23 class is here yet. Uh, Jeremiah Cobb, obviously a big one that, that a lot of people remember because he was the last one to sign. He stayed back and, and signed with his, uh, with his high school teammates, but there's nine players who are true freshmen that are in, or, you know, there's one Juco transfer in there that are in right now. That is Keldrick Falk, K.N. Lee, Wilkie Denod, Connor Liu, Clay Whedon, uh, the Juco offensive tackle transfer, Isaiah Miller, uh, Braden Joyner, Brenton Williams, and Steven Johnson. Um, so that, all the transfers, all the all the guys that are trying to work their way up the depth chart with a new staff, uh, with Hugh Freeze talking to here recently about how you know, they've hit, you know, it's a clean slate, it's a reset button, it's it's an opportunity with all these new coaches and all these new players to make an impact to stand out. So it's kind of like, uh, hey, throw it up there and, and see because there is so much new and, 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 you know, it's not like we can pull off of previous experience with this staff or me, uh, even a good chunk of these players. But let's try to come up with our breakout picks. We'll go back and forth. Painter, I'm going to let you go first. Um, because I always like having to play off of, of what of what you pick. So, Painter, you get the first pick. What player are you looking at 
heading into spring spring practices and say, hey, I bet by the time A-Day rolls around, people are talking about that guy. I like that you want to challenge giving me the first pick. Makes it a little harder for you. I'm going to go with the player that I believe has a high uh, floor, and I don't know how much we will be talking about him, uh, but the offensive line as a whole is going to get talked about. And I think, and you even wrote something about this recently, um, there seems to be some security with him being a key contributor this year. So I'll go with Avery Jones. Avery Jones. All right, that's a great pick because – you know, I, I will say I'll say this about Avery. He started for two seasons at East Carolina. He's a center. They went out and got him as a center. They made Brett Bielaba mad by going and getting him at the last second. He's a center through and through. Last season, um, Auburn center problems were very evident, and it played a big role in the offense, I think, having as rough of a season as they did. Obviously, there's plenty of other factors, including coaching. You look, Nick Brahms. Right before the season starts, Nick Brahms is out and is has to medically retire from football. Then you get into the year, and Tate Johnson is thrown into the fire. Statistically, grades-wise, whatever you want to look at, not a great start to, to being a starter for Tate Johnson, and then he gets hurt. And then Auburn has to play, just move guys around, try some different things out at center. Now they go out and go get a guy that was one of the – I think probably – I need to look this up. I would argue that he's probably the best center that was available in the transfer portal this offseason. We've already talked about it, you know, in the past here for Auburn that, you know, you've got you've got three transfers on the offensive line that are all rated three-star better – or, sorry, four-star by – um Two four seven, no one has ever done that before, and now I'm looking, uh, not knowing who Ladarius Henderson is. Uh, he ended up transferring from Arizona State to Michigan. He's the only higher rated interior lineman on that group for Auburn for uh, uh, of this transfer portal. So really good shot that either you have the best center or one uh, one of the two best centers in the country uh, for you know, out of the transfer portal. I think this is a great pick. You, Auburn needed a center badly. Not to just say, hey, if they had to roll the dice with some of the, one of the guys coming back, that it would have been, you know, the worst thing in the world. Obviously, don't want to put them down too much, but this you go is, to the portal is, for a reason. Yeah, you go to the portal for a reason, and you go get a, like at center, center with experience too is huge because he's seen a lot of football, he's played a lot of football, and that is your second quarterback. You have to do so much identifying, you have to do so much adjusting before the snap. Um, and you need that center to be at the top of his game. He graded out really well at East Carolina. Uh, East Carolina was a solid AAC program the last couple of years. It's a great pick. I, I like it because, you know, I when you look at, like, who what people are going to be talking about, like you said, high floor is a great, great example here. But I could also see there's going to be a lot of attention on the offensive line this spring, and I would not be surprised at all where you have, where you're talking to coaches or you're talking to players or you're seeing what's going on. I wouldn't be surprised at all if you hear a lot of people talk about, yeah, man, Avery, you know, what Avery brings to you and that that consistency and that veteran leadership down the middle. It's going to be so crucial for that offensive line. So that is, a, that is an awesome pick right off the top, um, you know, for, for this spring breakout class. All right, my pick here, I'm going to – I'm going to go back to the well again and 
I, I think this is the staff, and I think this is the offense that can really, really take advantage of this player and his skill set. We talked. To, I wrote about it in 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 the in the Tuesday newsletter. One of my biggest questions for this offense is: Look, you got Javarius Johnson back. You got Coy Moore back. Not to say Coy Moore is a tiny guy, but you know, six one. You know, kind of more of a flanker role. We know Hugh Freeze's track record with big guys. Go up and get it, guys. Win your one-on-one matchups downfield, guys. We know his track record there, and that just seems to be kind of the missing piece of, like, what could jumpstart this passing game? What could take it to the next level? Can one of those guys emerge and break out? This dude has uh, – this is cheating a little bit probably because he's already been talked about in a in, in a in a practices where people come out and it's like, this dude is going to be awesome. But I'm going back to the well again because I, I just really think that this might be the spot for him. I'm going Camden Brown. I'm going. I'm going with Camden Brown. He had such a good practice this last. This last, um, I think it was the last fall camp. Looked really, really good. Had two touchdown catches last season. It felt like when they threw the ball to him, good things happened. Problem was, is you were under a staff that just didn't really like rotating guys. Didn't like playing young guys very much at all. So you didn't get very many opportunities. Everywhere you go and every time you hear about a, about the wide receivers, a lot of people are like, man, Cameron Brown, watch out for Cameron Brown. He's going to be he's, he's gonna be a guy that can really turn the corner. 6'3", we can already see he can go up and get it. Great athlete. Um, and I just think when you look at those Ole Miss teams and then some of the Tulsa teams as well and the Baylor teams that um, Philip Montgomery had, getting this big body physical downfield playmaker means a lot. There are options, obviously, Nick Mardiner, We'll see what Landon King ends up being in this in this offense and where they play him, but I I really like Cameron Brown's potential. So maybe a little bit of cheating just because he's already broken out in the past. I I just think you know everyone's going to fall in love with Cameron Brown again if they haven't already here in spring practices. Painter, we are going back to you. Who we who we going with now with your second pick? It is essential that Dylan Brooks is good for me on this team. Great pick. Great pick. Really consider Dylan Brooks here for that spot as well. You're absolutely right. Like, you have to have it. We talked to Derek Hall at um, at Senior Bowl uh, a few weeks ago, and he said it is essential that he is important for Auburn this season. Those were his words exactly. Dylan Brooks is a guy that has had two years learning behind Derek Hall and um, Ekuliota. This He's a jack linebacker, um, which is – this new position group that they have um, for a, so like a buck, like a um, like an edge guy in the past, but there are a handful of them: Dylan Brooks, Keldrick Falk, Elijah McAllister, the transfer from Vandy, Brenton Williams, and Hayden Bryce are all jacks. You know, Dylan Brooks still not the biggest guy in the world uh, at at uh, in terms of the the weight he's. Listed at 6'4", 232 right now. People have talked about him putting on weight, getting that experience. But the dude was Auburn's best pickup in the 2021 class when he uh, got out of the Tennessee uh, debacle and then came to Auburn. You got to have him. I like I like where your head's at here, Parent, because I, I would not be surprised at all with people saying, yeah, the lights kind of come on for him. He's Like you said, it is essential that he steps up because they need somebody. They need somebody. And why not a guy who has the talent – and has had two years playing behind and learning behind, you know, some of the best pass rushers that Auburn has, has put out ho- here over the last five or six years. You'd like to think the timeline works out well for him. You'd like to think that 
a, a player highly recruited out of high school that's had a couple of years is about to make the jump. Given how little we've seen of him, um, it feels like a relatively safe bet, but don't want to get ahead of myself. He played a decent bit down the stretch last season. I want to make sure I get this right. Um, I think when the staff changed over and they were rotating more guys out, I think they probably looked around and were like, you know what? That guy should probably play a little bit more. Um, and he did. Uh, let's see. He played, uh, let's see, 20, 11, 12, 16, and 18 snaps on the defensive line down the stretch. He had week six and week seven. He played some more as well. So, yeah, it just he was getting more experience last season. He got that trial by fire just to go out there and learn and, and pick it up. Now it's like, okay, you're going to have to be relied on as one of the bigger dudes, and that's just what um, it's what everybody's going to want from the edge rushers right now. Can Dill Brooks make that step forward? We'll see. Um, but that's a, that's a really good pick. And because you went with that one, I'm going to play a little defense here and uh, stay at that position. And I'm going to go with, again, the easy narrative pick, but a pick nonetheless that makes sense. If you're looking at who's going to be talked about a ton in spring practice, who's going to be the one that people really, really like by the end of camp, why not go with a guy who was the number one uh, recruit in your uh, in, in your class coming in? And I'm going with Keldrick Falk. Um, Keldrick Falk is a fascinating player to me for a number of reasons. Um, number one, Auburn – put the full court press on him down the stretch to get him to flip from Florida state. He made it so that they got a really good, one of these, like this was such a good class for defensive linemen in, in, in Alabama. We talked about how legendary this crop of talent was in state in the 23 cycle. And guess what? You did not have the the staff to take advantage of that at all. You just didn't. They were not doing their job <laughs> at recruiting. And we've been through that and, and pointed that out a ton of times at this point. However, the new guys coming in quickly and making sure they get Keldrick Falk was big. He's a high four-star pretty much everywhere. Rivals gave him a fifth star, and so that's I mean that's the kind of talent you're working with. Falk already has really good size for somebody his, uh, somebody his age. He is uh, 6'5", 240 coming in. Wearing the number 15, what do we think about 15 as an edge rusher number? I think it's a good one. I think, you know, uh, if you're not going single digit or you're not going the 90s, 15's fine. Fine. I think, you know, if you want him, want him to be, and I guess if you want him to be a real terror, you give him like 99 or like two, or well, not two, uh, one, four, something like that. But decent number. So you, we like the vibes going into that. My question, and, and I don't want to sit here and poke holes in my own answer here. One, I mean, People are going to talk about Keldrick Falk because he, of how good he was coming out of high school. And it's like, hey, he's here. It's been a minute since Auburn's had this really highly talked about freshman coming in as an early enrollee, and there's going to be a lot of attention, a lot of buzz on him. It's probably been since the end of the Malzahn era where we've had a guy quite like this that you can point to. Obviously, 2019 had, um, you know, uh, had, sorry, had Bo and had um, Owen Papo were, were guys that, that a lot of people really were pointing to. My question about Keldrick Falk is um, just making that jump. Uh, he is a proud alum of the Highland Home Flying Squadron. If you know where Highland Home is, the fact that you probably don't know, well, I'll say this, the fact that you probably don't know where Highland Home is probably tells you how big Highland Home is. He did play 2A football in high school. That's a big jump from 2A to the SEC. We've seen this with, with a number of guys 
uh, in the past. Some people have been able to pick it up, put it put it up quickly. That's just my question with how he'll be able to make that that switch and that jump early on. I think athleticism and tools and frame and all that. Um, he's really really good, um, but might be might be raw, might be a little on the raw side coming in. Like how quickly does he kind of catch up and put on? Because as I wrote about on Tuesday, if he is able to carve out a role this early for Auburn. I mean, think about how much that defense just changes where you can say, hey, the true freshman we brought in, we really, really wanted, he's going to get on the field for us right now. That changes so much, especially at a position of need for Auburn. So you go with the more experienced Dylan Brooks. I go with the raw upset. Very similar situations. If Auburn can get both of these guys, they don't have to be Derek Hall. They don't have to be you know Jeff Holland this year. But if they can get both of those guys to really, really play well, in year one, I mean, that would be that would be so so key for 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 this defense. All right, Painter, back to you for your third pick. I'm going to stay on the offensive line. I'm going to go with Dylan Wade. Dylan Wade. So Dylan Wade has a really interesting connection here because Dylan Wade played uh, for Philip Montgomery at Tulsa, and when he got into the transfer portal, a lot of people thought he's going to follow Philip Montgomery. I believe he had another coach of his somewhere go somewhere. I think USC was in the mix. Uh, I hope I'm getting that right. But Dylan Wade was a really highly rated um, offensive tackle from the group of five level. He obviously knows what it takes to make it work in this offense because I think, remember, Auburn's going to be combining Philip Montgomery's philosophy with Hugh Freeze's philosophy. And, you know, it, it is Montgomery who's going to be calling the shots and calling the plays and running the show. Dylan Wade makes a ton of sense uh, as a guy that a lot of people are going to be talking about because, once again, I think for the thing for Auburn, especially Auburn fans, you've waded through the wilderness for so long on this offensive line. And, like, what they did in the transfer portal doesn't fix all your problems on the offensive line. That's going to take years to overcome and build back from. You will take the dude who's played a lot of football for the guy who you just brought in. Uh, as an offensive uh, offensive lineman, and so I, I'm really curious to see like a where he plays. Is he is he going to stay a left tackle? I think there might be some mo- moving around there on the offensive line, but obviously you bring a dude in for a reason, like like Dylan Wade. Flipping back over to me, it's kind of tough because you're at this point where you're like most of your DBs are already taken off the board. You know, what? this is a guy that I'm super super high on. Probably not going to be a starter. Very interested to see where he plays, though, and where he where he fits into the picture. And uh, I don't know, just from uh, you know, a couple uh, last month when I did the film room on him and dug into a lot of his numbers and his film, I really, really just there's something about this guy that just really clicks in my head. And we will see uh, what that means in terms of a year one impact. Uh, but I'm going with Brian Batty, the running back from uh, South Florida, the new uh, speedster that Auburn has on board. Brian Betsy is uh, a jet, man. Uh, one of the best big play guys in college football last season. Number six in the country in yards per carry. Um, was one of the best in explosive play rate. He's 5'8", um, but he still is not like a dude that if you ran in between the tackles, you're like, oh, my God, he's going to die. Um, not that. Not that type of player. He's got some, he's got some uh, bulk. He's got some, got some pop for his, for his frame. Auburn got him again. It's like when you go to these these transfers, you sit there and look at him and say, "Well, Auburn got him for a reason, right?" And for the thing with Batty, I think he's going to be a dude that helps you out on special teams immediately. Obviously, 
But the versatility, you know, we know that uh, I almost said Brian Harson. Lord forgive me. Um, we know that Hugh Freeze has a track record of little running backs. You go back to Jeff Scott. You go back to some of the other ones he's he's had in the past. These little scat backs, these guys that can make make things happen in a variety of ways. Um, there's just a lot. There's just a lot to like about that. And Betsy, look, this is Jarquez Hunter's show. I think when Jeremiah Cobb comes in, he's going to fight to get in the rotation. I like Tamari Austin's upside as well. But, like, Batty's so different than the rest of them that it's like where you find him, where do you put him in, where 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 do you see him kind of make an impact. And, um, I mean, yeah, he's just – there's going to be stories or there's going to be video or there's going to be something where it's like, oh, man, here, watch this dude, you know, take off and, like, just see the speed coming off. So – I like guys that you can be creative with, even if you're not the dude. This gadget, this fun upside gadget. And again, one of the best yards per carry running backs in the country last year on a on a South Florida team that was just bad. They just they were really bad. And that shows me something that like if you can look same thing with Rivaldo Fairweather from FIU. If you can look really good and put up some good numbers when the supporting cast around you is just not not it, that says a lot. He did run for a ton of yards against Florida uh, last season, so I think the transition to playing teams of this caliber is not going to be as, as steep for him. I'm a Brian Batty guy. He's he's the one I'm putting my put my marker down on this year. I don't know what that looks like, and I don't know what kind of stats he's going to put up. I'm not going to sit here and say he's going to run for a thousand yards or he's going to be you know this all purpose demon for Auburn this year. I just I just really really like him watching the film and looking at the stats. I mean this is this dude has the potential to be pretty special. All right, fourth pick. We got two more a piece for each of us. Uh, Painter, where are we going? You've gone Avery Jones, Dylan Brooks, and Dylan Wade. So offenses and guys named offensive line and guys named Dylan have been your uh, have been your uh, forte so far. So where are we going next? Cheating here. Tell me if you want me to veto this, if you will. Um, okay. But I, kind of in the same vein of what you went with out wide. Uh, give me. Uh, Landon King, and we can that, we can. I'll, I'll give you Landon King, you okay, because he's had an interesting career so far at Auburn. My question is like, where do they put fit Landon King into this in, into this scenario? Because like we said with with Cantor Brown, like get a big guy and turn him loose, let him make plays downfield, let him make plays to the outside. Landon King, obviously, you can take him for sure. He did step away from the team last season, um, only had one catch last year. But it was just like everything he was doing before that was re- working well. Just, he wasn't getting any opportunities because the last staff just played the same guys over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And most of them are not here anymore. And so what do you do with that reset? I'm very curious. Is Atlanta King currently listed as a wide receiver on the roster? But the tight end makes a ton of sense. You did bring in Rivaldo Fairweather as well. You also have several tight ends back. So, like, maybe you kind of keep him as this as this type of hybrid role. But when I say Hugh Freeze offense hybrid tight end, I think everybody's mind immediately goes to Evan Ingram, right? Uh, and just say, okay, that's that that that's the one. That's the guy that you're going to try to try to have. Um, I think he had a year with Dawson Knox. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but Evan Ingram, like Evan Ingram, by the end of his tenure at Oh, Miss, like Evan Ingram was like their best receiver, not just their best tight end. He was their best receiver. Obviously, it goes to the NFL and, and uh, has had a really solid career there. 
what can Landon King do? What can what can Landon King do? And I know and I know your ears perked up when I mentioned Dawson Knox because of because of his work for the Buffalo Bills. Folks, we love it. I was a little critical of Dawson at the beginning of the year, and I think uh, one he had a lot going on in his personal life, and two yeah. uh, he came on strong as the season went on. So he had that uh, he had that stretch where he was just getting a touchdown every game. Yes, <laughs> it was just like yes. it was just like automatic. And the Buffalo Bills fans in my life like to remind me of that. So as you said at the beginning of this, we've had plenty of misses. Uh, you can add oh, yeah. the the Dawson Knox premature slander of uh, this football season to that list. All right, uh, next up, uh, let's. I'm going to go defense here, and I am going to say we're going to be talking a lot about the big transfer from Kentucky. Again, this is kind of pointing to, hey, high, highest rated, higher rated guy, go with it. Justin Rogers is somebody that I really like, um, not just because he shares the same name as me, but no, Justin Rogers is huge for one. Um, and he was one of the best, uh, he was one of the best players that like Kentucky's ever signed. And he, and he had a really good, uh, he had a really good, uh, start to his career there, uh, making big plays. He was, um, you know, obviously really, really highly rated crew comes in six, three, three thirty two. I had kind not to say I kind of forgotten it, but it kind of had been lost on me a little bit this year when looking back for the, for the story. Peter Auburn was three. <laughs> Hubbard was 105th nationally last season in rushing yards allowed per carry. And like, we're not too far removed from the era where like nobody could run on Auburn. And it was that, that big, like, you know, awesome era with Derek Brown and the linebackers running downhill, Marlon Davidson and all that. It was wild to watch Jalen Hurts making the throws he was making this season, and in particular in the Super Bowl, knowing this is simplifying it, but, I mean, in a, in a sense, the year Auburn yeah. beats yeah. him uh, in Jordan-Hare Stadium. What is that, they bottled 17? him up. Yeah, they yeah. were just like, yeah, beat us with your arm. And apparently he could not that day. This is, I mean, they got Masai Nasilakite, they got Lawrence Johnson, they're all big guys, but Justin Rogers is the biggest one and the dude who just has the most coming back. He's coming from the SEC, he played a lot of football at Kentucky, he was a really good recruit. I just, you go and get a guy like that, he he moves the needle for you uh, if you're Auburn. Uh, On the defensive front, uh, he was, let me, I'm looking at it right now, he was the da-da-da, he was the fifth, no fourth best interior defensive lineman in the entire portal this this class. I I really I really like his potential, and um you know he he's also got a really cool dog that he tweets about a lot and posts pictures of. So if you don't, Painter, have you have you been aware of Justin Rogers' dog at this point? I'll be. I know what I'm doing after we get done with this. I'll go look at yeah. some some dog photos. I think the dog may have his own Instagram account. Oh, I, I know love he's. That. Love I that. know he's. I know he's tweeted about the like like. Let me see, Justin. Right, we're gonna do this on the air. Uh, Justin if you Rogers, have cats or dogs, and we follow each other on social media. I know some people get annoyed at that. I love that stuff. Give me all your pet content. Justin Rogers, yeah. Uh, his dog. His. All right, here we go. His dog's Instagram account is Jimmy with two Y's. And chew with three W's. So <laughs> he he was when he first got to Auburn, he was asking people to go follow Big Chewy, uh, who is his dog. Um, he did tweet like right right after he got here. He was like, uh, 
yeah, tweeting about dogs uh, a lot, and uh, which is always going to get people talking about you. And he was asking. I remember him asking about. Uh, I remember him asking about. Yeah, is there any? Uh, he was w- trying to find a place where he could he could go uh, wash his dog. He would go, go go give his dog bath. Like he wanted to like go you know take care of his boy Chew. So um, go follow Chew. I, I just think he's going to be a dude. Seems to have a really fun personality, but also really good SEC pedigree. In the interior line, Auburn got a big, a bunch of big dudes. We know that the Ron Roberts defense, like with Dave Aranda, you go back to those LSU teams and those Baylor teams as well. Wisconsin's a great example for for Aranda as well. They love having, they love nothing more than putting a dude who's well over 300 pounds right over the center and saying, I'm going to make your life miserable on every single snap. And I think Justin Rogers is one of those guys who can do that for Auburn. They will rotate, they will use a lot of these guys, but I'm singling out Rogers just because SEC transfer, former great recruit. And um, you know one of the one of the higher rated dudes Auburn got in this entire portal. All right, Perry, we're gonna wrap it up. Your fifth and final pick. You have Avery Jones, Dylan Brooks, Dylan Wade, and Landon King. Which I will say this: we may all be dead wrong on 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 both of these. <laughs> I really, I, I'm, I'm gonna say I really like both of our our groups so far. I think we've, I, but I think that's also just kind of like the the thing with this roster. There's so much intrigue. There's so much excitement because there's so many new pieces and faces, and you don't know where everything's gonna fit. Um, but I do like I do like all the potential we've got here. I think one because of where he was rated as a player, as a recruit, as a transfer, and also because of the need. This one seems easy to me. Demario Tolan. Demario Tolan, the big linebacker from L- from LSU. All right, so I'm just gonna say this: I'm not picking Austin Keys with my last pick, but I do want to talk about Tolan and Keys together. Demario Tolan, great great player coming out of high school. This was a dude who was a high four star. Um, Auburn really wanted him in the previous, uh, the previous staff did. They went down the wire for him. He's from Orlando. Um, he ends up going to LSU and I wrote about him recently, Peter, but like when, when you have Brian Kelly, who doesn't, I mean, again, I have never covered Brian Kelly. I've only listened to him a few times in press conferences, but the fact that Brian Kelly was like going out of his way on his radio show to be like, this dude's going to be really good. Everybody watch, like get ready. And this was coming off the game after they beat Alabama where he only played a handful of snaps, but like he was noticeable in all of those snaps. That stands out to me. Um, I really, really like I really like where, where your head's at there with, with DeMario Tolan, um, but can kind of do some of everything. Um, was a coverage guy, even played some kind of nickel at, at times for, for LSU. Was a blitzer, was really good at stopping the run. Uh, but like, I mean, yeah, Brian Kelly was talking about him and Harold Perkins, who Harold Perkins are, is already just a freak of nature. Like, we're, in a couple of years, we're going to be like, that guy is going to be really highly rated in the NFL draft. Like, he's he's the new Stingley, where it's like, oh, LSU's got another dude who was just a freak of nature uh, coming out on defense, at, you know, as a true freshman. But they were comparing him to Micah Baskerville, who had a great career at LSU, or has had a great career at LSU. Um, but, yeah, Auburn able to pick him up and, and I think, plug plug him in right away. I really like that Demario Tolan pick, and like you said, like there is a real need here. Cam Riley's kind of it. We've seen West Steiner, you know, his his playing time cut down towards the end of the year. We'll see what he looks like under a new staff, but like they need more linebackers. And Tolan, they got him for a reason. Austin Keys also, meanwhile, played a lot at Ole Miss. Um, was a pretty heavy hitter, big guy already. It's like two forty. There's some two forty five. Sorry. There's some film from him at Ole Miss where he is just demolishing some big guys 
and, and making some big hits. So I think he's going to be a great player at the center of the park for Auburn. But really like that Tolan pick because I think you're right. Not only is he a guy that people are going to be excited about because of where he was as a recruit, but like he still has three years of eligibility left. So if you're Auburn, you're like, this ain't just a one-year rental that you're rebuilding the defense with. This is a guy that can be a, a cornerstone piece of your defense for years to come, and that's that's really, really exciting if, if, if you're the Tigers. All right, last pick. I've had Cameron Brown, Keldrick Falk, Brian Batty, and Justin Rogers. So where am I going to go with the end? I like the linebacker pick. I will go away from uh, from a linebacker at this point, though. But I'll pick a defensive back because there's like 9 million of them. And I know, as we said at the beginning, Scott, Pritchett, Kaufman, Puckett, Simpson, whatever order you want to put them in, there's a lot of dudes that have already played a lot of football for Auburn in the defensive backfield uh, room. Uh, that secondary is just loaded with with talent uh, and guys that um, you know, guys that are that have played a lot. I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to I'm gonna go back to what I did with Keldrick Falk here recently, and I'm just gonna go with the second highest rated player Auburn's got coming in as an early enrollee, and I'm gonna go with Kay and Lee. Kay and Lee is somebody who got a lot of love uh, from a lot of people that I know and trust about recruiting and evaluation right off the bat. Top 150 player coming out of school. He's from Cedar Grove. Auburn flipping him from Ohio State. That's a really good sign if you're the, if you're the Tigers. Really good Georgia prospect. A lot of people, a lot of people that I've talked to and that I've, that, that, that I've, again, I've heard from and that I trust with their analysis of players have said, yeah, this guy is going to be a player that you could get on the field right away. Really like where really like where Kay and Lee kind of fits into the picture. Um, he's already got an all. He's wearing number three, which single digit number for a freshman always just kind of stands out. Super fast, really good, really good hitter as well. Uh, but just a, a lot of played at a really good high school. Got a lot of honors coming out there, and then yeah, Ohio State really wanted him, and that kind of just clicked something in my head of being like, okay, you know, if a team like Ohio State you know, coveted him in this class and Auburn's able to flip him from him. That's usually a really good side of, uh, of, of impact. I don't know where he'll play. I don't know what position fits him best. I don't know. I don't know if he'll start. I don't know if he'll be a guy that even, you know, we talk about as a too deep guy right, right away. But, um, the buzz on K and Lee has been so high over these last few weeks and months since he's committed to Auburn and time with Auburn that I am I am really really um, leaning on the projection here with with Kane Lee, and so uh, I will go I will again go a little bit of the easy way out with my last pick and pick another guy who's just hey true freshman highly rated people are going to talk about him, uh, but I like I like the Kane Lee pick and I like where I like where he's headed here um, you know in in a room that just has so many defensive backs um, so you know it might be a little tough to stand out and separate yourself from the pack, especially with what Auburn's bringing back. Uh, but, you know, there's a – there again, I just, I'm, just, I'm just leaning on people who know what they're talking about when it comes to Kay and Lee. All right. So, let's wrap it up here. Avery Jones, Dylan Brooks, Dylan Way, Landon King, Demario Tolan for Painter, Cameron Brown, Keldrick Falk, Brian Batte, Justin Rogers, and Kaylin Lee for me. I really – again, like I said, Painter, uh, I think I, – I like both of our squads uh, – pretty well and i feel like we could have done we we do five usually these and um 
But, like, I feel like we could have done a few more rounds and, and still would have had guys to pick just because there's so many newcomers and guys that I think are going to get a fresh set of eyes on them in this, in this uh, class and in this, this roster that I think you can, you can really like, uh, like where, you know, pick where these, these breakout players are. Um, and, you know, they're probably, I wouldn't be surprised at all that we picked 10 really good candidates. Wouldn't be surprised at all if the guy that's talked about the most or some of the most uh, at the end of spring practices are guys we didn't even pick right here. Just because there's so many different options. Uh, I believe, if I remember correctly, that he started against Ole Miss. Um, what do you think honorable mention Jeremiah Wright? Yeah, I think J- Jeremiah Wright's a great honorable mention because I do think, you know, you do have Dylan Wade and you have Avery Jones and you have Gunnar Britton, you have Isaiah Miller, the Juco offense tackle coming as well. But you don't like somebody who was on this team last year is going to have to play a role and a good role for Auburn on that offensive line. I love the Jeremiah Wright pick. I think, you know, there were times last season towards the end where you would watch him on film or you'd watch him and say, oh, man, he is mashing people up front. And he's got a mean streak and he's nasty. I know Cole Kubelik, who is one of those dudes that if he says anything about the offensive line, you got to listen to it and got to trust him because the man knows it better than anybody else, especially anybody in media. And he always, I felt like always whenever he was doing those film cutups, I felt like he was always pointing out Jeremiah Wright. Um, so, yeah, I, I, fantastic pick there. I, I'm curious to see, again, not not making a pick. Like I, uh, we didn't mention Isaiah Miller. Like, I'm curious to see where he fits as well. Like, I feel like the three FBS transfers are going to get a lot of love and a lot of attention in the Jeremiah Wright and also, but, like, keep in mind, Auburn fought really hard to get a big Juco offense tackle in this class, and so where does he fit into the picture? Where does Auburn want to kind of plug away with him uh, right off the bat? Uh, makes sense. Uh, other ones that I was just kind of just – We'll just shout them out here real quick. Other ones that I was thinking about. Obviously, Austin Keys was another one uh, to keep an eye on. Um, smaller guy, but like again, not 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 going to be the most surprising thing in the world if we just look at and say, "Oh yeah, people are talking about Tavares Dawson again." Like I wouldn't be surprised at all if that was a, that was another pick that you could lean on. Obviously, Fairweather makes a ton of sense as as your tight end spot. Any of those defensive line transfers. Uh, but, uh, yeah, could this like, like with Cannon Brown, could this be another chick Dawson hype train off season? I would not be surprised at all. Um, even though there are some guys that are around his position, around his skill set that Auburn is bringing back that, that have a lot of experience already. So, all right. I think that's going to do it. Appreciate everybody listening. Appreciate everybody's patience. This is coming out uh, a couple days or at least a day uh, later than usual, um, due to just some traveling stuff, but, uh, Painter and I are both back, uh, in our respective places, at least for a short while for me, um, we'll be going to Kentucky, going to Rupp this weekend, but first Auburn's got to play Ole Miss in football or football, basketball. Uh, first Auburn's got to play Ole Miss in basketball and, uh, we will talk about that and look ahead to the Kentucky game. That'll be our next podcast. That one will probably go up on Friday. Uh, we'll probably put that up on Friday, record on Thursday because it is a late Wednesday night tip. And, uh, yeah, we will put that out. So we'll look ahead to the Kentucky game. We'll look back at what happens in the Ole Miss game. And we'll also talk a little football if, uh, anything arises between now and then, but that'll do it. Appreciate everybody listening. Like we said, rate, review, subscribe. 
Painter, tell them how tell them how they can do it here real quick. As he said, mash that subscribe button, leave us five stars. A line or two will do. Should take you like twenty seconds. Go to Apple Podcasts, search Auburn Observer. Very easy. Helps us out tremendously. We appreciate y'all very much. Yep, and you can subscribe to everything we've got going on at AuburnObserver.com. All of the newsletters, all of the podcasts, uh, including the one we just talked about. Our next, our next podcast, our next um, podcast for before the Kentucky game, between the Ole Miss and Kentucky games. That is going to be just for subscribers, six dollars a month, or you can pay sixty dollars and get the full year, uh, which means you get a couple months free tacked on. And uh, yeah, it's a perfect time to to sign up because we've got a lot of basketball, we've got a lot of football. It's about to come out here really, really quick, and um, yeah, I mean you're you're gonna want to you're gonna want to uh, see what we've what we've got here uh, in store uh, with uh, with spring football and the postseason in basketball. So no better time to sign up. Tell your friends, tell your enemies, and uh, we will be back to talk to those of you in the inner circle on Friday. Until then, Painter, final thoughts. Make sure that when you're putting on your facial lotion, you have some with some SPF in it. Want to want to stay young looking. 